Hello, we at Grace Covenant Church in Gunnison, Colorado are grateful and humbled that we get to be part of your sanctification today. We invite you to review our sermons online, but also stress the importance of being joined to a biblical local church, the life of the church, and the spiritual gifts God has given us to express in the church. Our website is www.gracegunnison.com. There you can find sermons and other resources as well as our location and service times. The members of Grace Covenant Church Gunnison pray that the following messages will be a blessing to you. Here Jesus' Galilean ministry is continuing. Um, we see that he is, from Matthew four twenty three. it says that he would be teaching and preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He will be performing wondrous miracles that we will see. Numerous, without count, but we will, we will see in this section a section of nine miracles that we see. And the way that Matthew has arranged them is three, three sections of three. Um, Matthew, because being a, a good Hebrew, we see that he speaks many times in um, chiastic poetry. So we see, we see the way that he arranges things very much in a... Um, uh, Hebrew poetry, if we look at the Psalms or, or the book of uh, Proverbs, we'll see such like this. But within this, we see that all of these miracles are there for a reason for us. They are pointing to the deity of Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to know without a doubt that the Messiah is He, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. All, all of these signs are pointing to him. These are his messianic credentials, if you will. These are pointing to the fact that this is God in the flesh. There is no doubt. The writer of Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is recording these so that we may know. That we may know, that we may believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I think much in the same way of the Apostle John. If we think of what John said towards the end of the gospel, of his gospel in John 20, 30, he said many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples. They were witnesses in their presence, which are not written in this book. And you say, why were they not written? Because there is no book that could contain all that Jesus did. And the apostle John wanted us to know. He said, these have been written so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, God in the flesh, the Son of God. And that you may believe and that you may have life, life eternal in His name. So here, this is proof of the deity of Jesus, that He is God. In fact, there is no Christianity without this point. Jesus is God. There is anyone who is a Christian must believe and know that Jesus is God. Anyone who denies the eternal and absolute deity of Jesus Christ, who is co-equal, co-eternal, co-essential with the Father in heaven and with the Holy Spirit, is not a Christian. To deny that is to deny the faith. And they who deny this foundational doctrine are, are of the cults, the satanic cults. But never forget also that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is here before us in flesh and blood. Here in these Gospels, in flesh and blood. In fact, He is flesh and blood as we speak, as He sits at the right hand of the Father. 
Never forget both of these things, the deity and the humanity of Christ. But Matthew's purpose here is to demonstrate who Jesus truly is. The Messiah, the, the true Redeemer. Remember, he's, he's speaking many times to the, those of his, uh, of his Hebrew brethren, his Jewish brethren, that this is the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one. In fact, he, he goes to great detail, and we, we all have, have traveled through this the last year, but to remind us, Matthew 1.1, he says that this is Jesus the Messiah. He shows the, the genealogy, and then he goes on to say that he is the son of David. So, Jesus the Messiah, divinity, the son of David, the son of Abraham, humanity, this is the one we are to expect. There is no other. He has come. He goes on in chapter 2. And uh, if you remember the Magi come. And we come to see the king of the Jews. He is called the ruler. The shepherd of Israel in chapter 2 of Matthew. Chapter 3. Um, do you remember the, the baptism? The spirit of God descends upon this man as a dove. And we hear a voice from heaven. God the father of this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John chapter 4, he tells us that this is a great light that has dawned in the land of Galilee. He says that this has come to a people sitting in darkness in Galilee. And then even as he comes into the, one of the, final, the final chapter, chapter 28, that this one, Jesus Christ, is the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This is he who Matthew is speaking of. And note too that Matthew arranges his gospel slightly different than some of the other gospel writers. They're all individuals. They're all writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Matthew is speaking not necessarily chronologically. He is arranging his text more in a thematic fashion. He is giving us more... uh, According to topic, or I shouldn't say topics, but topically arranged, he is, his purpose is to display the certainty that Jesus is He who is the long-awaited Messiah. And he, this Jesus can give life to the dead. He gives power to the weak. And He can increase strength to them who have no might. So, as we read this text together, let us have ears to hear and hearts to believe and trust. This is the Messiah. So if you'll read along with me. In fact, I want to pick up in the very last two verses of chapter 7. Because here he's coming down from the mountain. When Jesus had finished these words of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And here is the start of our text, verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, 
I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servants will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. And when Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. I pray that the word read would be a blessing to our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would illuminate it for us this morning as we look deep into His Word. The title of our text is, of our sermon, Great Authority Grants Great Faith. And as we look at these, there's three miracles here. And I was wrestling with how to break this down best as I knew that I couldn't do all of them very well in one setting. And so I've chosen this three Sections of three, and I'm going to look at the middle miracle this morning. Verses 5 through 13. Lord willing, we will look at the first and the third next Lord's Day. As we look at this text, as we think about this, remember the setting. He's just come down from the mountain, preached a sermon like no other. Who is this preacher, they must have said? Who who is this man up on the mountain speaking, preaching as no man ever has? With such authority. Who is this man? I mean they came crowding and following him. This had to be the question of the multitudes. There's no, this man is no other than God himself. He declares this in his teaching and preaching. Do you remember? He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. But, but I say, who, who are you? This is God speaking. I say to you. And he, he towards the end of the sermon where they said, He said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And what does he say? I will say to you. He is proclaiming that I am the judge who will sit on that final day. Listen to me. Jesus is speaking as he is God. He is showing his divinity in his teaching and preaching. And now, as we see in this text, his miracles that he performs by a word or even by a touch, but not even needing to see the person, by a word. Proclaiming that He is God. He is affirming His deity here. We see Jesus with great authority. Great authority in the way that He preaches. The way that He speaks. 
I mean, it took him 20 or 30 minutes to preach a sermon that it took, <laughs> took me nearly a year to exposit. Just simple to the point, here it is. No, we see Jesus' great authority. Authority over all creation, over life, over death, over sickness, over leprosy, over paralysis, over all viruses, all fevers, all. He has authority. We see from this account of Matthew, we see the finger of God. We see the voice of God in action in chapters all in chapters 8 through 9. We will see God in action through Jesus Christ's works, declaring to us that the one spoken of is the Almighty, is the I Am. Here he is. Look at our text. He had just come down, so he just come down from the mountain and we see a leper come first, but we're going to get to that next week. But here he's entering Capernaum. Capernaum is a strategic town. It's um, where Peter's house was. It's where his mother-in-law was living. It's also where Jesus had, had stayed. Remember he says that uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He stayed wherever, different places. But Capernaum will be... Remember that name because Jesus will come back to it many times. Many things were performed in Capernaum. And he will say later on in Matthew that if the signs and the miracles done here in Capernaum were done in Sodom, that they would have repented and turned. Basically declaring judgment on them, on the unbelief, seeing all of these things he did and you still will not believe. Capernaum is no more. We... We've actually been there to see it. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And there's just remnant of what was there. God judged those people. But here we see, we're introduced to these three people in these three miracles. So first, we see the leper, an an unclean outclassed. What we see, an an unclean Jew. And then we see a, a Gentile in the centurion. And then we see a female Jew. What I'm trying to show you is these are, these are all considered in that time the outcast of society. We see an unclean outcast, an outsider, and a mother-in-law. All these together. Oh, bless the mother-in-laws. But here, we see all these people together that these are the, the untouchables, if you will, of that time. These are the outcasts. In fact, as one recent politician said, these are the deplorables. Here we have these folks coming that a good Jew would have nothing to do with. Right? Coming to Christ here. Here's a Gentile. Right? He's an outsider to the nation of Israel. This centurion. Worse than that, he's, he's a military officer of the occupying force. So, I mean, you know, think of that. If you were invaded in another country, and these guys are there to, to... They're in the promised land of Israel... And they're there to monitor the Jewish people, to keep them in line and under their rule. So, double someone wouldn't, wouldn't want to deal with this person, right? But he comes to Jesus. This is a man of high rank, high standing. He, he probably had hundreds of soldiers underneath his, 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 uh, his authority. He was more like a lieutenant maybe in our, in our military, if you could think in those terms. But though a Gentile, though a non-Jew, we see from this text that he, he was a believer. He was one of faith. 
We see this from his very actions and his words. Look, look at what he says first of all. Don't, don't put yourself in the context of this happening. Think back to this time and the way things were between the Gentiles and the Jews. And here this man comes and he says, Lord. This is a military officer. He's coming and he's calling him Master. Think of this. Okay, don't miss this fact. I mean, Jesus here, to all appearance, looks like a common peasant Jew. He, he, he looks, really has nothing to look at. In fact, in Isaiah, he says that uh, there's no stature. There's no, he tells us that he has nothing to look at. It's very common. In fact, Jews were to submit to their higher authority, to their, their superiors, the Romans, the mighty Romans, right? And so here is this mighty Roman who speaks for the emperor, and he comes to Jesus, who looks like a common Jew, and says, Lord, that's, that's got to be shocking right there. But he realizes that he is speaking to a greater authority. He realized he's speaking to someone with divine power. We see that he comes in humility to this Lord. We think back later when, um, you know, in this time, wasn't was not Caesar Lord? I mean, they came and said there, there is no Lord but Caesar. In fact, the Christians many times were persecuted because they said our Lord is Jesus Christ. Not Caesar. We'll not bow down to Caesar. I bow to the Lord Jesus. But this man here is showing us this humility. And this is a good principle for us to understand that the one who comes to Jesus must believe that Jesus is Lord. That He is God. Mighty God. And He comes in humility. But He does not come necessarily asking something. Notice he just comes in compassion and he's telling the condition of his servant boy. In fact, the, the word is Pisces. It's not the same word that we would say for servant, which is doulos. So he's, he has an intimate relationship uh, caring for this servant boy that's with him. It's, it's obviously a terrible condition. Paralyzed and in extreme torment Fearfully tormented, he says. And he, he comes and he just expounds that my servant is paralyzed. And what does Jesus say immediately? We see Jesus extending grace in verse 7. He says, I will come and heal him. We see the grace of Christ, the, the loving kindness, the, the compassion and mercy for those in need. I will come and heal him. But look what happens right immediately after that. We see this Gentile's faith in Christ. We see he comes and he first says, his response is, Lord, I am not worthy for you to even come. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. If we look back in Luke 7 or 6, I think it's Luke 7, where we have a, a, a parallel passage. Uh, the Jews had said to Jesus, go and heal this centurion's servant because the centurion is a worthy man. He's telling Jesus, he is a worthy man. The centurion comes and says, I am not worthy. I am completely 
unworthy of you to even acknowledge me. I, I'm unmerited. As he comes to Jesus, this is humble submission. This is not a man of entitlement. You hear the voice of this man. He comes. In fact, we all must come knowing that I am a sinner. He is, he is a humble and needy beggar. Are you that? Do you come to the Lord as someone that He needs to answer my prayer? Or do you come as a humble, needy beggar? All of us as true Christians must come as beggars. And He says, just say the word. Just say the word. Do you hear the trust in that faith? Just say the word. The word is power. The word is life. The word is restoration. The word is power to save. Jesus, you are the word. This is faith that trusts. Just say the word. Trusting in God's holy inspired word is sitting before you this morning. Trusting in that. Just say the word. And then he explains the rationale behind his faith. He, he tells Jesus, notice he says in verse 9, For, for I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. You see, he understood authority very well. He knew the chain of command. In fact, if people don't obey orders, people die. When it's said, it's done. He understood that. Oh, oh for a generation of people today that understood God's ordained authority structures. We've lost that in our culture, have we not? No respect for what God has instituted, what He has set before us in our structures of our, of our family unit, of our civil unit, um, of the church. He knows that, the centurion knows that orders are to be followed. And then Jesus, in verse 10, Jesus marvels at this. He marvels. He is amazed and astonished. Not that God doesn't know these things, but He's, he's showing the people that are there His amazement to this true faith of this centurion Gentile. Here Jesus is in the, is in the midst of, of God's special chosen people. He's in the land of Israel. And here's this Gentile. This you know dirty Gentile. Can't even come into the house with us or eat with us. This outsider. And he comes with this true understanding. This true faith. I mean, this man had sound theology. He might not have grown up with the book that they had. But he knew that this man had authority like no other. He knew this. This great and genuine faith. I want you to see two things that are essential in this. First of all, this man who came to Jesus, he had confidence in Christ. He, he had confidence in His power and His dominion over all. There was nothing that was outside of His purview. Nothing that he could not, His power could not reach. Nothing that He was not over. Remember He said, I'm a man under authority. So we see confidence in Christ. And second, we see a humbleness of self. This man was a highly respected man. But he comes bowed down, if you will. He comes in humbleness. Now these are two essential dispositions that all believers must have. 
We all must have this when we come to the Lord. Jesus is recorded here to have marveled in Scripture only twice. Only twice. And once we see in this text. Marveled at the true, genuine faith. The other time, He marveled at unbelief. He marveled at the the people to not believe. That that here, God is in their midst. They still couldn't even have spiritual eyes to see. Marveled at both of these things. Notice that Jesus never marveled at man's accomplishments. He never marveled at the buildings. Remember the the temple? Lord, look at this temple, how grand. He didn't marvel at that. In fact, he said it would be torn down. In three days, I'll rebuild it. He didn't marvel at man's military might. I mean, the Romans were pretty, they were were top notch. They built all the roads around there. It didn't astonish him at all, Jesus. He didn't marvel at the vast knowledge of the rabbis. No, he wasn't amazed at that. He marveled concerning faith or lack of. He marveled at these things, faith. We may take this to heart. We may take this to heart that we should marvel less at the works of man. Marvel less at the science and magnificent art or political power. Or even the wonders of God's vast creation is as wonderful and amazing as they are. But marvel at grace. Marvel at the unmerited favor of God. Marvel at, at how God's work can take one sinner and bring them to saving faith in Christ. That is more amazing than anything. To, for one sinner to repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ is more amazing than the seven wonders of the world. For one to come in contrition and mournful over their sin is more amazing than the Grand Canyon and the mighty Mississippi than the grandest mountains you ever saw here. For a sinner to come to Christ by faith. Amazing work of grace. A broken heart over, over sin is more impressive than finding a 6,000-year-old fossil. Those are great. It's not, not, nothing to say that we should diminish that, but a sinner coming to understand who he is before God. Mm. To trust in Jesus. To trust in Jesus is, is more than anything we could ever see. It's an amazing, it's a miracle. It's a miracle is what it is. This miracle of Jesus to bring people to saving faith. And Jesus says that he didn't find this great faith in all Israel. He finds it in this unlikely Gentile centurion. Does he still do that today? He finds faith as he gives faith, the gift of God, in the most unlikely person. The most, the vilest sinner. He can save the, the worst criminal in the maximum security prison. He can save the worst sinner in this town. He saved me. He has power to save. Jesus then explains after he tells this Gentile 
of the amazing work of grace, he comes and he explains and describes the ones that will come, and he's also going to describe the one that will not in his kingdom. And he comes now and he explains this Jesus' Jesus's messianic banquet. Those who have been brought into the kingdom, we see in verse 11, verse 11 and verse 12 both. He says, I say to you, many will come. Many will come. He's telling this Gentile that, that you, Gentile, you, Centurion, are a picture of the many who will come. That He has come for the nations. Jesus breaks down the walls of partition, not only between God and man, but between man and man, between Jew and Gentile. Most of the epistles, or much of the epistles are written about this, of this, this wall of separation is no more. That Jesus here is fulfilling the words of Simeon. Simeon, do you remember when Jesus was brought to the temple as a, as a young person? And Simeon says, Lord, you can take me now. Paraphrase. He says, Lord, you can take me to be with you. He says, I've seen the, a light of revelation to the Gentiles before me and the glory to your people Israel. Jesus has always had a, a remnant among all sorts of people. He saves the Jew. He saves the Gentile. And He does even this day. Notice He says that those that will come to this table, they are sitting. They are reclining. He's telling us that those in the kingdom, you who are in Christ, will have joy and rest. But many times we, we long for rest. We are weary. We have much to do and we never get done. Lord, I need some rest. There's rest for you. There's rest for the believer. We recline. And it says that at a table, there's feasting. There's no hunger here. There is, there is celebration. In fact, this is when we think of the Lord's Supper that we will partake in in just a moment. This, is, this celebrates, this is a sign of what is to come. Of this feasting with our Lord and Savior. And notice he says, it'll be with, he, he names the patriarchs. It'll be at a table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But what a blessed company we will be in. We, we may be able to, to go and, and see Isaiah, Elisha, Jonah. We'll be able to talk to other people and, and see Rahab and hear from Sarah and maybe sit next to George Whitfield or, or Charles Spurgeon. Jonathan Edwards. Or maybe sit and see a man like John Newton. He was, he was a man that was buying and selling slaves, transporting slaves, and the Lord saved him. And he wrote some amazing hymns that we have. The Lord can save the most wretched of sinners. This blessed company, I tell you, we shall know people in heaven. We shall know people in the new heavens and new earth. How do I know that? Well, he says you'll sit. I'll know Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who have never met. Surely I'll know my loved ones who I have met. Makes sense. Wouldn't you think? I will, know, I will not know less than I know now. Praise the Lord. We'll have a joyous company. We shall know the patriarchs. We shall know other believers. I'm reminded of even last week and in the Sunday school hour at the 
when we were in Weatherford, Texas at Grace Covenant, and there was a time of prayer for the bishops and for the loss they were going through. And at the end, one of the pastors gave me the microphone. I was up front, and, and I was kneeled down, and I, was, I, was, I read from Scripture from Psalm 107, and I, and I prayed. And afterwards, this lady, a good friend of mine's mother, came up and she said, I knew that voice, I knew that voice. She couldn't hear me, she couldn't see me, because I was, I was down, so I knew that voice. I knew that voice, and I was so glad to see you, because it was you. And I, I was thinking, I wonder if it's like that. I knew that voice in heaven, of knowing our loved ones, only the loved ones who are saved, for they were the only ones that will be there. And we see joy in fellowship. Joy and fellowship and company to, to be known in the kingdom. You, you will be known. Known by the Lord. But then he tells us of a tragic part in verse 12. He tells us that this is a restricted entrance. Only those with genuine faith in Jesus as the Messiah, God in the flesh, will be in this final eternal kingdom. It will only be the redeemed. The ones who persist in unbelief, who will not come to repentance and faith, whether Jew or Gentile, their destiny is much different. This is a fearful text, and Jesus gives us many fearful texts in order to compel us to come to, come to Him by faith. You see, here He says in verse 12, the sons of the kingdom, who are, who are these? Sons of the kingdom, well, he's going to explain, but these could be said as ones who are trusting in their bloodline. Remember later in, uh, in John 6, well, we are of Abraham. He said, no, you're of your father, the devil. You see, sons of Abraham are those who are sons and daughters of faith. These are ones who are trusting in their bloodline. Maybe these are ones who presume to be self-righteous. Maybe they were members in a church. Maybe they were baptized. Maybe, maybe they were raised in the teaching of the Scriptures. But without true faith in the Messiah, Jesus says they are cast out. Cast out. Bind them, He says later in Scripture. Bind them hand and foot. And cast them out. Banished into outer darkness. Dreadful pit with no bottom. It's a place of torment. An everlasting destruction. He never sugarcoats. Where those who are not in Christ will go. This is a tremendous statement that he has in these two verses. We see, it's a twofold declaration. We see triumph and we see tragedy. We see blessed joy, feasting and celebration. And then on the other hand, we see wasted opportunity. We see agony and pain. Listen, with no possibility of parole, with no ceasing, no hope, there will be no reprieve. It's not just for a... We have gone through seasons of pain in all of us, I'm, I'm sure. But this is one that will never cease. There'll be no end. But this beautiful feast is not only spoken of here, but in many places in Scripture. The Old Testament is replete with it. In fact, turn to Isaiah 25, if you will. 
Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. In fact, Matthew is going to be much about fulfillment passages. So we're going to be looking in the Old Testament much as we go through Matthew. But here are the words of Isaiah, chapter 25, verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the people on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, of choice pieces, pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, speaking of the mountain of Zion, on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. And he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. For whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The people of old have waited for this. In fact, let us turn to even a, a New Testament commentary. Look to Paul, turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. I just want you to see how much of Scripture. Clarify Scripture. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, a little longer section, but I think this is important for us. Even chapter 8, I, I can't skip chapter, or excuse me, verse 8 because I love verse 8. So chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, this is the part I want you to listen to. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, that's probably all of us, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision by the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that at that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. He's speaking of Jesus right here in the Gospels. He says, and He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the Apostles, 
and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Oh, do you hear that? This is what God is doing, building us up into this temple of God. One people. One people. But without faith in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God sent from heaven, you cannot be saved. In fact, you cannot enjoy the blessed state, the eternal life in God's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom. That's what he's trying to tell us. Listen, if you are not living your life by faith, every day, if you're not walking this out, then you're not in His kingdom. You're not saved. God says that there will be gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth and, and weeping. In fact, there's a, there's a the in the, in the text in front of those. There's the gnashing of teeth and the weeping. Continuously awaits the sinner. So turn to Christ. Flee to Him. He is our Savior. Trust in Him as this centurion does. Trust in His work. Look to Him and be saved. Look to His Word, His Gospel. Notice at the very end in chapter 13, excuse me, verse 13, Jesus answers this faith. He says, Go to the centurion, go, and it shall be done for you as you have believed. He answers. He answers you and I when we come to Him in faith, in true faith. The one who believes in Christ. In fact, John 3, 3.36, He that believes in Christ, He that believes in the Son, has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus, He says, let it be done. By His Word. Remember the centurion said, Just say the word. Jesus says, let it be done. Let it be done. Well, what does that remind you of? To me, it reminds me to the beginning. Let there be light. And there was. The word of God speaking. Jesus Christ speaking. Speaking creation into existence. Speaking life into the sinner bringing new life, the new birth. Let there be light. Faith. Jesus is looking for faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This centurion is an example for us, for all. See, there's a table being set for all who believe. Jesus said immediately the servant was healed. Immediately. There's no delay in grace. Grace comes in a moment and it's irrevocable. In fact, the one who Jesus saves, no one can snatch him out of his hand, he tells us. But these miraculous healings, and we're going to see many of them as we continue, but they demonstrate not only the Messiah's deity, but they also and his unlimited authority also, but also it's a vivid illustration of Jesus' power to save souls. To save souls is far more important, 
In fact, we have a far more deadly condition to deal with, and that's our sin and the penalty of it. And Jesus came to deal with that. He, he, he comes to save souls eternally, not just to deal with our physical infirmities. And yes, we should pray when we're, we're, we're going through times of infirmity and, and God does heal and He does answer our prayers. But it's not just about the physical, temporal body. Don't be fooled by the charlatans in our day. We have charlatans and this is all they talk about is the healing and you, know, you will be healed and it's all about the physical body. The, the charismatics and the Pentecostalists Change the word there, Pentecostalist. But yeah, it's don't don't buy into that stuff. God came to deal with far more than my failing body, my failing body that's being degraded by sin. He came to deal with sin and my eternal soul, for we are made in the image of God, and He came to redeem His people for Himself, for His glory. He came to bring life. And as we conclude this morning. As we conclude this text, remember the table that is prepared. The banquet feast. There is a table that is being prepared and there are places set. Is your name on the guest list? God knows. Is your name on the guest list? Have you, have you, sent, have you sent by faith your RSVP? I don't know what that means in French, but it means something of have you responded? Are you coming to the call? To come by faith. Are you coming to that final banquet? Will you be among the great feast? I pray that all of us, any who are yet to do so, would lay down our arms of resistance and come and bow before this king, this mighty king, the centurion did. It's hard for a nobleman to come. It's hard for a person of authority to come and bow down. But there is one of much greater authority before us. One who we will all have to answer to. I pray that we will do so. We do not know how many Sabbath days are before us. I just left the funeral. Of a little girl that I knew. And she was 14 years old. It was very unexpected. But God knows that our days are numbered. And he says today is the day of salvation. We're not guaranteed another. We do not know if we have another breath to take. He says come. Do not delay. But come to the Savior. <clears throat> None that come to him by faith will ever be turned away by the way. He receives those who come to him by faith. And for all who have entered here, and I trust many of you have, we must go out. We must go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, to come to this feast, to be saved, to see their standing before a holy, righteous God and to repent of their sins and trust upon the Savior. God has made a way for us to come and be saved and be redeemed where we do not have to go to this place of eternal torment that is real. And he made it so simple. He did all the work. He just says believe. Trust in the Savior. And you will be saved. Compel them to come in and flee from the wrath of God. The wrath that is to come. Very real. 
It's said here in this text. I pray that we will have this faith, this great faith of this centurion. That it will be exhibited in this fallen world and that others will see the faith that you have. The faith that you have in the schools. The faith that you have in your work. The faith that you have in, your, in, the, in, the, in the storehouses, in the schoolhouses, wherever you go. They see something that's different about you. In fact, I saw that in a family that lost their loved one. Something was different about them and I know what it was because I know their faith and I know their Savior. And I know they trust in Him. They know that He is good. God is a good God. He's good to send us a Savior. So may we trust in Him. Believe. Have a trusting faith like this in Turion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this gospel that Matthew has given us for the word that you inspired thank you for the savior what a mighty savior we serve Lord Lord just say the word I pray that we would trust upon your word that we would lean heartily upon it that we would dive deep into it and that your spirit would just allow us to to bathe in it make us more like the savior Give us faith like this centurion to walk in this fallen world trusting you with our life and with our death. May we serve you in this this kingdom of darkness. May we be light. May we bring people to the Savior where we can't save them, but you can. And you use us to do so by your word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I ask you to bless each person that's here today. Save the one that needs to be saved. Lord, the one that is saved, use us for your glory. May we bring others to saving knowledge of you. It's in his name and for his glory that we ask these things.